Well, last week we left with a riot going on in Ephesus and it was all crazy. There's as many as 24,000 people shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I think um, Amazon or my phone or something must have heard me talking because I got all these ads on Amazon for uh, uh, busts, like statues, and there were statues of Artemis. But they weren't the art. They weren't like. I've been to Ephesus. I've seen the statues of Artemis, and these were not it. These were like Venus de Milo version of Artemis, which I was like, "Oh, well, that's good. That's not as disgusting as the real Artemis." So, but then, it, of course, you know what you do. You get distracted and you start clicking, and I'm like, "You could get like a big old actual size head of David, like Michelangelo's David." Like in plastic for 19 bucks. <laughs> wow. Ridiculous. So, such goes the way of idols, right? These things, we, we, last week was this big old riot, and it was all over. The silversmiths were going to go broke. If people don't buy idols anymore, then we're all going to lose our business. And the way. Acts 19 ends, Paul is still in Ephesus, the riot is done with, the uproar is over, and everything's kind of relaxed. And if you stop there, you would think that was the end of stuff in Ephesus, right? Well, remember, all these chapter numbers were added later. So all, all the chapter and verse numbers were added uh, hundreds and hundreds, sometimes a thousand years after these things were written down, certainly after they were told by word of mouth. So the end of Acts 8, 19 is the riot in Ephesus and everything dies down. Acts 20, after the uproar ceased, right? It just keeps going. It's the same, the uproar in Ephesus. After the uproar in Ephesus ceased, Paul sent for the disciples and then he encouraged them. He said farewell and he departed for Macedonia. So Paul didn't leave because of the riot, but he also didn't go back to the lecture hall of Tarant. Remember how he was in a lecture hall preaching probably every day from 11 to 4? He didn't go back to that. He just got everybody together. Okay, look, y'all, I'm going to Macedonia from here. You guys did great. You did awesome. Nobody got ripped to shreds by the mob of 24,000 angry silversmith idol worshipers. I'll see you later. So then he goes through, and this is really, this is where it's awesome to have a study Bible with a bunch of footnotes in it. So he said farewell, and he departed from Macedonia, is verse 1. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. So how much time happened between verse 1 and verse 2? Because <laughs> he says bye to them. He leaves from Macedonia. He goes all through those regions is what the, the sentence says. Okay, this is not like road trip 45, right? AD 45 road trip. This is days and days. You could probably travel between, maybe 20 miles a day if you were really had a good pace and you were in good shape and all that. The, the, they would usually allow for maybe 10 miles a day. 
would be good and normal. So to travel through those regions could have been months and months and months of time passing, all in verse 2. Okay? Then, so he goes for months and months, all through the regions, all around Macedonia, he comes to Greece. In Greece, he spent three months. But remember, Greece isn't a city. Greece is a whole region. And so he spends three months in that region. And he went all over the region because Luke says Greece and not Athens. If he would have been in one city, he would have said the city. But instead, he mentions the region. He spends three months. And a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria. So he decided to return through Macedonia, where he's been all through verse 2 for months and months, right? So from clues in other letters and other things that he mentions and other historical mentions, um, a lot of people think that it was in this whole time that he spent some time in Corinth while he was traveling around. Then he left Corinth and he wrote 1 Corinthians back to the Corinthian church to answer their questions that came up either while he was there or right after he left. So they got the letter of 1 Corinthians and they read it and they responded and they did things. And then he wrote the secret lost letter to the Corinthians. That's right. So there's a letter. We have 1 Corinthians, we have 2 Corinthians. There's another letter that happened in between there that we don't have anymore. But he mentions it in 2 Corinthians. He mentions the letter that he wrote and it's not 1 Corinthians. Does any of that make sense? So all of that happened. <laughs> 1 Corinthians and what one and a half, Corinthians one and a half, the unheard sequel. He goes to other places. Then he finds out that the Jewish leaders are going to kill him when he sets sail. So now we got to talk about we're going to talk about sailing a lot. From Acts 20 onward. Luke is pretty much there on the spot for every event. And Acts 20 to the end reads a lot like a travel log. You, I encourage you guys get the maps going in the back of, your, back of your Bible or keep a little list going of the cities they start mentioning from Acts 20 onward because they, they're really going to travel and they're going to give a lot of detail about what, where they travel. So the way you would sail, most often... You would not just set out across the ocean, set out across the Mediterranean Sea, and be away from land for weeks and weeks. More often what you would do is just hug along the coast. And during the day, the wind would blow. And so you would, you would navigation-wise, there's the land. We know where we are. We recognize the ports. And we know what the order of ports is along the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. So in the daytime, when it's windy, you sail. And you go as far as you can. And it's kind of like uh, looking for a hotel on your way home from Kansas. You're just checking every off-ramp. And is this where we pull over? Is this where we pull over? Is this where we pull over? And because when evening comes, the wind is going to stop. And you won't be able to go any further. And so you're going to pull into a port. And you'll probably get out of the boat and sleep in an inn. Or sleep in people's houses that live there that'll that'll you know, rent out a bed or rent out a room. And then in the morning you're going to get up and the sun's going to come up and the wind is going to pick up and you're going to get back on your boat and you're going to 
and make another hop. So you make these, that's how they would travel in this day. The other thing about this is that traveling by sea is way more dangerous than traveling by land. So if you're traveling by land, you're probably on a Roman road. Uh, some of these still exist 2,000 years later. Like talk about durability. I don't know. I don't know that this intersection for all of its uh, maintenance that they've done on it. I don't know if the intersection of Mount Vernon and New Harmony is going to be here in 2000 years. <laughs> I know the Dollar General won't be here in 2000 years. These Roman roads were built so well, some of them are still intact and and you can go stand on it and walk on it and see it and look at it and be like, wow, they built this. So you could travel by land and there'd be robbers and thieves. And if robbers and thieves came upon you and beat you up, just like Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, somebody else would come along and find you laying there and might help you, right? There's other people because it's a road. If you travel by sea and you're out in the water, there were pirates then, just like there are pirates now. If somebody comes and attacks you and robs you, they just sink your boat and nobody's going to find you. You can't call for help because you're out in the middle of the water. And Paul is traveling. They don't mention it very much anymore. But remember, he was going around taking up a collection from all the Gentile churches to take back to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was so poor and the church in Jerusalem was suffering. So Paul has a, a big chunk of money on him. So not only are people trying to kill him because he's preaching that Jesus did everything that the law of Moses couldn't do to set you free. They want to kill him for that. He's also got a big old chunk of change that whoever kills him is going to be rich. Although not everybody knows about that part. And so instead of going by boat, he's like, no way. These guys are out to kill me. I'm going back through Macedonia. So he travels by land. Listen to who is traveling with him. This is super cool. In verse four, so Peter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, yes, that Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. So if you had your map going from the beginning, you've got a list of where all Paul went. And now all of a sudden we see all these. Remember when, when Paul went to, to Derby and the, the people went from Thessalonica to Derby and they roused up the rebel of the, the rubble of the town to, to get everybody mad at him. Remember when he was in Berea and he told them things and they said, we're going to search the scriptures to see if all of this is true. And the Bereans were really smart. Paul has gathered up believers from all these towns where he went and they're all coming along they're probably coming along because they've got some money so the Berean church said oh man the church in Jerusalem is suffering let's send Sopater along with a couple thousand dollars to support the church in Jerusalem and to encourage the church in Jerusalem that God has opened the door to the Gentiles because the other wild thing is all of these names are Greek names. This is not, you know, Simon, Andrew, Saul. These are not the, the rich 
Jewish names of the 12 apostles to show Yahweh's getting his chosen people. These are Greek men who are following Jesus, which is showing that God has opened the door to the Gentiles. And I will just tell you right now, these guys are going to get Paul into so much trouble. But I won't tell you more than that. You got you to be in suspense for about a month and a half. And then we'll talk about that. So these guys are all Gentile believers. They all go ahead and are waiting for us at Troas. While we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread... And in five days, we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Okay, wait. You could you could just read that and go over it and be done and not pay any attention to it. But if you read it really slow and you look at every word, there's this exciting thing happening. Paul took all the Gentile guys that follow Jesus, and he says, you guys go on to Troas without us. We're going to stay here. Why did they stay here? To celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Jewish guys are celebrating, still celebrating the Jewish holiday. That's Passover. So the Apostle Paul, even though he's free from the law, is celebrating Passover with the Jewish people that are following Jesus. And the Gentile people that never even celebrated Passover, they couldn't give a rip about Passover. They don't even care. Who knows? They're Gentiles. He's like, you guys, we're going to do this thing. We can tell you all about Passover because it's awesome. But why don't you just go on without us and we'll catch up. And they do that. And so he celebrates that. In, it takes uh, So the way it's worded, they celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's seven days. It takes them five more days to get to Troas where they are. And once they're all there, they stay there for another seven days. On the first day of the week... When we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, and he talked until midnight. So again, here's another little blurb. On the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. That's what it became. That's what the early church, instead of having a synagogue where you had to have 10 Jewish men together and you would talk about a uh, already prescribed section of the Torah, the new Christian gatherings or the church, if you, you want to go that far, they would get together on the first day of the week. They would break bread and they would talk. And the breaking of the bread was a meal that they would have together. And at the beginning of the meal, they would break bread and they would remember it was like communion. I mean, it was communion, right? They would remember Jesus breaking the bread at the Passover and they would talk about it. At the end of the meal, they would have wine and they would remember the cup of the covenant that Jesus drank. The covenant, Jesus' blood poured out for you, right? It's all 1 Corinthians 11. The middle of the meal was eating. And wild thing, historians talk about the early church was the, the first ever, one of the only times in the ancient world where you would have rich people associating with poor people. You would have people, you would have Roman warriors, and you would have Jewish pacifists. You would have just this whole mix of different kinds of people, huge, wildly diverse group of people all together 
in the name of Jesus. And some of that, it, it was just, um, it's funny to think about it now because churches tend to be very non-diverse. But that was one of the controversies of the early church. Was they, people would look at them and be like, oh, I, we can't believe those people. Those people associate with slaves. Oh, we can't believe those people associate with such poor people that don't work. Oh, we can't believe that, that those people associate with people that are, that are injured and have injuries and, and disabilities and are beggars. But they're also rich and wealthy and, and might have positions in government. And yet they would all interact with each other. And they were all a group. They're all, Paul says, no longer male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, but all are one in Christ Jesus. And that, that was radical. It also served as a way to feed the poor. That um, Paul criticizes the Corinthian church for the rich people getting drunk at the meal and eating all the food at the meal. He says, if you're hungry, eat before you come. And so we think, what? why would you eat before you come so you're not hungry when you have communion? There's, there's some denominations that you fast before you have communion that day. And it's because the meal was intended for the people that are hungry and can't feed themselves. So it was like, it was like soup kitchen also, kind of awesome thing. So they all come together and Paul knows he's leaving. And so he talks all the way till midnight. And the way they did it was not at all like this with one person. Paul wasn't giving a monologue late into the night and all night long. He wasn't preaching all night long. It was um, lots of questions and answers, lots of discussion, lots of uh, probing. What does that mean? What is this? And what are the implications? It was a lot of, a lot of discussion. And he also says in 1 Corinthians, when you get together, everybody has something to share. And so it wasn't just Paul talking all night. He, Paul was leading it, so he was keeping it going and not shutting it down. But the Holy Spirit would have things to say from everybody in the group. Every, everybody would, has something to contribute, he says. And so they're going on late into the night. There are many lamps. And a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep. As Paul talked still longer, he was overcome by sleep. He fell down from the third story. So the dude's leaning on the door. He falls asleep, falls out the window, and is dead. And they, they take him up dead. So they bring, you know, they're picking him up. Eutychus, Eutychus, right? Paul comes down, bends over him, takes him in his arms. He says, don't be alarmed. His life is in him. When Paul had gone back up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while and so departed. And they took Eutychus away alive and they were not a little comforted, which is a way of saying they were really comforted a whole lot. Not a little bit, but a bunch. So this like side thing happens, right? Remember in Acts 19, people were getting healed by, by um, Paul's sweat rag that, would, that he would wipe his handkerchief or his apron that he would work with. They would take it and people would get healed. And now this, this guy falls asleep and Paul raises him from the dead. So God is working in him. All right. Going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. 
When he met us at Assos, he took him aboard and he went to Mytilene or something. Okay, wait. Did you catch what just happened? He stays up all night talking to everybody. They go back up. They raise this kid from the dead. They break bread. And then they're done. And he's like, you guys go on without me. I'll catch up with you at, um, at, at Assos. You guys go on. So on, you think, what in the world? They're taking the boat and he's walking. How, how does this going to work? And he just stayed up all night preaching and answering questions. And he rose this kid from the dead and all this business. Okay, this is super awesome. If, if I had a map, I'd show you. All right, so here, here is the, it's called, they call it today, the Assos Peninsula. And they're sailing from here to here. And as they sail from here to here, Paul is just walking across. He's taking a shortcut. He's going by land. So they're actually going really, really, really far all around the bend. He has a 30 mile. He has like a 30. It's a 30 mile walk for 5,000 bucks. You can go there and do this tour. And it's a three day. Uh, you hike 10 miles every day and you walk on a Roman road and you see all the the ruins and all this business and it looks really cool but i just looked at the pictures that was enough for me but you walk across this little peninsula and that's what they did what's going on here right what happened you know where where does this sound familiar where a guy would stay up all night by himself while all of his buddies were in a boat right this is jesus sitting on the side of the mountain after he feeds the 5,000 and the disciples go out, what's Paul been doing? He's been up feeding the church all night long with preaching and teaching. And now he takes the night off all by himself and probably the day because they only sail during the day, right? Paul walks, spends this time alone. What did Jesus do after he spent time alone? The night before he spent, the night before he picked the 12 apostles, he had a night of prayer alone. Before the Sermon on the Mount, he had a night of prayer all alone. And so if you've read the Gospels and you know the pattern of Jesus's life, you know something is about to happen. Something awesome. Because Paul is doing this thing. So they catch up and they meet up and they have a chance to go to Ephesus. Oh, Ephesus. Paul's favorite church of all, where he spent the most time. He loves those guys. And he says, there's no way I'm going to Ephesus. I can't. If I go to Ephesus, I'm going to be so bogged down there. I'm going to give so many hugs. I'm going to see so many of my friends. I'm not going to Ephesus. You might have had this if you go out of town and you go to some city where you have a whole bunch of friends. And you're like, I can't tell anybody I'm here because I'll be here for two weeks. Or so-and-so will be mad that we didn't stop and say hi. Right? I'll see one of my friends. I'll post something on Instagram. And they're from out of town and they post something about the Evansville Riverfront. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? I'm, you're a mile from my house. And they're like, sorry, we were just in town for the weekend. We had to go. Ah, right. Paul does this. Not going to Ephesus. He goes to this other city and it would take five days for him to send word to Ephesus. The people in Ephesus find out, hey, Paul's and such and such come and meet him. They all come and meet him. So it's not because of speed, right? It cost five days of this. 
And then he comes, and we're just we're going to talk about this just a short thing. From Acts 20, verse 18, all the way down to 38, these 20 verses are Paul's farewell speech to the church. Because he knows he is on his way to Jerusalem. He wants to get there by Pentecost. And he is going to get arrested. He's going to get given over. Well, I'll just read it. <laughs> they came to him and he said, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. There's a bunch of people here that hear this and they're like, Oh man, dude was crying. Dude was bawling at my house. He was so upset because people were trying to kill him, right? Remember that time we pulled Paul out of that ditch and he was buried in rocks because all the people tried to kill him? Remember when your cousin threw that rock at him to kill him in Derby, right? Gosh. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is telling them, you guys know how I preach this all over the place. What's he doing? He is setting up for them how you should all act when I'm gone. He's giving them the, uh, if you can read this note, I'm already dead. Here's how you should act kind of speech. Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. Every city he goes to from here on out until he gets to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit will tell him, you are going to get arrested. You are going to get beat up. It's going to be bad. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I can finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He does not even count himself worth keeping his life and preserving his life if he can preach the gospel, even if it's going to kill him. I know that none of you among whom I've gone out proclaiming the kingdom will see me ever again. Can you imagine what that sounded like? I know that none of you are ever going to see me again. <gasps> so listen. I am innocent of the blood of all. I did not hold back any message to you. I gave you the whole counsel of God. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you and will not spare you. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw people away. So not only are you scared that Paul's never going to see us again, but a bunch of liars are going to come in to deceive us. Yikes. Therefore, be alert. For three years, I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which will build you up and will give you the inheritance. I do not covet anyone's silver or gold. How's that for pretty awesome? He says, one way you know that I'm the real deal is I don't want all your money. I'm not trying to get rich off of you. We can use that same, that same measure today, right? We should. 
You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my needs and I supported myself. In all things, I've shown that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the Lord, words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. What is Paul doing as he works and supports himself and he's not craving all their money? He's giving. He's not receiving from them. He's giving. He's pouring out his life. Wow. When he said all these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of everyone. And they embraced Paul and they kissed him. And they were sorrowful most of all because he said that they would not see his face again. And then they walked him to the ship. This is it, right? This is the getting on the airplane and flying away moment. This is the, I love you guys, but listen, here's what's going to happen when I'm gone. And this section in Acts 20 is so awesome of a thing for us to learn. And then, I mean, here we are talking about Mother's Day. For us to teach to the next generation. That the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that he died for our sins, that he bought all of us. And that you don't ever have to be afraid to preach that message in any circumstance, in any setting, to any people. And there will be people that will try to drive you away. There will be people that will try to take your money. And none of them have that message declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Right? The, the, the message that he received from the Lord Jesus, 2024, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That the Holy Spirit is in you to empower you to preach this, to tell others, and to pass it on. And even if the Lord tells you himself in every city you're going to go into, you're going to have troubles and difficulties, that doesn't stop him at all. It's really wild. So from here on, it's going to, the story is going to change and the events are going to change. The next couple weeks, as we go from Acts 21 to 28, it's going to be a, a travel log. It's going to be, it's been an action and adventure movie, but the action is going to pick up more than ever. And there's going to be less teaching and less controversy. And so um, you can, you can read ahead, but the same adventure is given to us. And the same adventure is handed to us because Jesus said, go to all nations, make disciples of all nations, teach them everything I commanded you. And I'll be with you always to the end of the age. So, Paul is going. He knows that the Lord is with him, just like we are sent and we know the Lord is with us. Let's pray. Lord, you are so holy and so awesome. And we praise you for the example that you gave us in Paul, that even though stuff might be hard and it might look terrible, that you empower us with joy, that you surround us with other people that want to preach your gospel and to announce your kingdom. And I pray that you would do it, Lord. I pray that you would just inflame that Holy Spirit in us to proclaim your gospel and to preach your kingdom and to not be afraid of anything, but to go forth with boldness. We love you. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. Amen.